Please be seated. Let us pray. Open us, move in us, prod us, stir us, lead us, O oh God, where you want us to go. Through the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Sometimes I wonder what Jesus was like as a boy and what it was like for Mary and Joseph to be his parents. Raising a son is one thing. How do you raise the son of God? How do you keep things as normal as possible for as long as possible so your baby can be a child before he has to grow up and save the world? How do you discipline a fully human Messiah when he's three, or seven, or for that matter, 15? How do you redirect the Prince of Peace when he has a fight with his brother? And what stories do you tell him when it's time for bed, or chores, or lessons, to set him on a good path toward love of God and neighbor. If parents help to shape the moral imagination of their children, how did Mary and Joseph do that for Jesus, the son of man, who was also their son? They must have told him Bible stories there are so many good ones, so many to choose from that will captivate a boy if you tell it well. Like this, from the fifth chapter of Genesis. Long, long ago, when giants were on the earth and heroes of former ages, God saw that great was humankind's evil doing on earth, and every form of their heart's planning was only evil all the day. And the Lord was sorry that he made them, and it pained his heart. And God said, I will blot out every, crawl every uh, crawling thing and from the fowl of the heavens, from man to beast, from the face of the soil, for I'm sorry I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. That was Everett Fox's translation of Genesis loosely, and it is the Marvel comics of scripture versions. It is Pixar in words. Skip forward six chapters into Genesis, Imagine an eight-year-old Jesus hearing this at bedtime before his parents tucked him in for the night. Now all the earth was of one language and one set of words, and they said, each one to the neighbor, come now, let us build ourselves a city 
and a tower, its top in the heavens, and let us make ourselves a name, lest we be scattered over all the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to look and said, Here they are, one people with one language, and this is merely the first of their doings. Now there will be no barrier for them in all that they scheme to do. So come now, let us go down there and let us baffle their language so that no one will understand the language of his neighbor. So God scattered them from there over the face of all the earth, and they had to stop building the city. Scripture is filled with stories to spark a child's imagination, the boy Jesus in this case. And surely Mary and Joseph leaned into its wisdom to raise their son. So I wonder, I wonder which Bible stories became Jesus' favorites. Which ones did he ask for again and again? Was David his favorite character, the young shepherd who fought and felled Goliath? Was Samuel the boy who slept in the temple and heard God calling his name in the night? Or Esther, who used her throne to save an entire people about to be destroyed because she had been sent to the kingdom for just such a time as that? Or Ruth, who promised she would never leave Naomi the widow, not ever, ever, because Naomi didn't have anyone else. So where you go, I will go, Ruth said. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. And may the Lord do thus and so to me if even death parts me from you. So many great lines for a boy to repeat, and a girl, too. So many characters to teach a little boy Jesus about good and evil, courage and faith, and cunning to fool the powerful, and patience to wait for years and boldness to approach God, even wrestle with God, which is Jacob's story. Jacob is a good candidate for Jesus' favorite character, given some things that Jesus would say later. Now, no one in the Bible comes close to being perfect. That is not a newsflash. And there are plenty of stories that really should carry the warning may not be suitable for some viewers, adult supervision recommended. But Jacob is a real rascal, one of the gamest, grittiest boys in scripture. His name alone gives him away. It means heel sneak. That's Everett Fox again. Jacob, who is the central figure in the book of Genesis, one could say, the younger brother of his twin, Esau. And with his voracious appetite to get ahead, Jacob stops at nothing to get what he wants. He tricks his father, cheats his brother, 
dupes his uncle, bargains shamelessly with God. He plays favorites within the family, and he plays fast and loose with the flocks and herds to amass great wealth for himself. As a young man, he dreams of a ladder going straight up to heaven right from where he sleeps. As an old man, he dreams of reconciliation with his brother Esau, which is when the wrestling story takes place on the eve of that reunion. And Jacob is unsure of whether his brother will greet him or kill him. And he wrestles all night with a man who might be God to get the blessing he needs for the thing he's dreading most. And he does get it. No one knows why God keeps blessing Jacob. But it has something to do with how tenacious Jacob is, how he won't ever give up. He's a God fighter. And that's the name he's given as the dawn is breaking, Everett Fox again, not as Jacob, heel sneak, shall your name be henceforth uttered, but rather as Israel, God fighter. For you have fought with God and human beings and have prevailed. God fighter. How awesome it would be for a boy or girl to earn that name. And how thrilling to know that it's possible that one night when you're really dreading something, really wishing you didn't have to do it, you could meet a man who might be God, a stranger with the power to bless you, but only if you wrestle for it. Hold fast and hold on and don't let go for anything because a God fighter never does. If Jesus loved these Jacob stories, if they were some of his favorites, I can understand why. If he asked every bedtime for his parents to tell him another one about heel sneak, and roared with laughter or shook his little boy head in dismay, I can see it. And if Mary and Joseph saved the wrestling story for days when Jesus was a handful to lead him out of temptation and deliver his siblings from getting trounced, I can picture that too. Listen, Mary and Joseph might have said to Jesus, their son, listen, if you want to wrestle, Wrestle with God. Bring all that energy to a mighty prayer on someone else's behalf. Go fight in a good way. Make trouble in a good way, as John Lewis would later put it, and let that be your superpower. So, son, here's your Godfighter cape. Put it on. Go outside. See if you can't make a few crooked paths straight. Isn't that what, a parent, what the parents of a growing up Messiah might do? Help their boy channel his passion and focus his strength 
give him scripts to practice from stories he loves. Tell him they are his to remix for his own day and time. And his to play, too, so he'd better live them for real. Is that what Jesus' parents did for their son? So the word became flesh and dwelt in him? Maybe so. Because when Jesus grew up and told stories himself, you can hear echoes of other Bible stories in every one of his parables. Echoes of Jacob, the heel sneak. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And echoes of Jacob, the God fighter. Now in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God, no respect for anyone, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. Now, Everett Fox hasn't translated the New Testament, but if he did, I wonder if he'd smooth over the widow's verbs in this passage in quite the same way. She doesn't just keep bothering the judge. She comes at him. She tries to give him a black eye. That's what the Greek really means. And in the Marvel Comics standard version, it might sound something like this. In a certain city, there was a judge who didn't fear God or have an ounce of respect for anyone, not a single person. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him over and over saying, avenge me of my adversary. I want justice. For a time he refused. And then he said to himself, I have no fear of God and even less respect for human beings, but because this widow causes such trouble for me, I'll give her justice. If I don't, she'll give me a black eye in the end. It is exhausting. She just keeps coming. All the things that concern Jesus most, the poor and oppressed, the meek and lowly, they are right here in this story, but not in any form we expect. A widow, one of the most vulnerable and destitute of people in Jesus' day, and with widows, with orphans and resident aliens, among the easiest to exploit and harass, with zero consequences for the offender. This widow, who should have been cowering in silence at the feet of power, actually puts on her boxing gloves, steps up to the man with the gavel, 
and gets in his face? And not once, day after day, with the same complaint, I want justice. I want justice for what was done to me for weeks and years and centuries. I want justice now. That's not meek and mild. That's a widow with a slingshot who knows what happens to Goliath. That's a woman who has slept in the temple and heard her name, who believes she was sent to the kingdom for just such a time as this. That's a God fighter who won't let go and won't go away and won't leave until she gets the blessing she needs to right the wrong that was done. Because oppression is real and it dwells among us full of spite and lies. And we have seen its violence generation to generation. But in Jesus' version of the Jacob mixtape, even a widow has her superpower, stamina. She can make trouble in a good way. She can give a judge a black eye or make him think she can just by coming back day after day, praying without ceasing until she wears him down, and she will. She's been practicing her lines in a cape before the court and the United Nations and in marches and demonstrations all over the world. She is what a prayer looks like. Jesus taught us to pray with words we still say and will stay say later in the service. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We say the Lord's Prayer every week, every time we worship. But in this passage, Jesus teaches us to pray like a God fighter, always, without losing heart. That's a tall order, because heart is the first thing we do lose, and always is an impossible length. Three minutes of prayer is about all most of us can last. Two minutes of wrestling, if it's high school, and we're in really good shape. But we can work up to it. And prayer takes many forms. We don't always have to be still and quiet. We can pray, get out in the streets, and pray with our feet and our hands and voices raised, give me justice. That's a prayer made flesh. That's one Jesus could have taught Jacob that he would have enjoyed. Parents are often proud and a little bit perplexed with what the next generation does with its inheritance, how they read 
the old stories. We shouldn't be. Even a boy messiah needs to make his own mixtape. Black eyes and God fighters. That'll play. Amen. <laughs>